We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Support for this podcast comes from Wild Turkey Kentucky Straight Bourbon Whiskey. Let's tune in to their one-on-one with Jamal, a real bartender from Old Fourth Ward in Atlanta. I really get into the backstory of whatever I'm pouring. Out of respect. There are literally years of experience behind these bottles. Wild Turkey, same recipe since 1942. If you want a true classic, this is what you want to order. Wild Turkey. Wild Turkey Distilling Company, Lawrenceburg, Kentucky. Copyright 2020, Campari, American, New York, New York. Never compromise, drink responsibly. Welcome into another special edition of the Rotowire NBA podcast as we are almost to the NBA offseason. Uh, maybe one more NBA Finals game remaining after Cleveland uh, was able to take game five in Golden State uh, on Monday night. It's Tuesday afternoon, June 14th, of course, the year 2016. As we record this, nine days away from the big night, that being the NBA draft. Uh, that is next Thursday, June 23rd. We got Media Day the preceding Wednesday. Uh, and then, of course, the draft on Thursday night again at Barclays Center in New York. But we'll talk NBA draft. We'll talk, uh, you know, kind of risers, some fallers, just uh, general general news, I guess, surrounding the NBA draft since our last podcast. But first, the NBA Finals. LeBron and Kyrie, 82 points between them last night, 41 each. Uh, we'll get to Kevin Love in a little bit. Only two points for the third member of Cleveland's big three. But now the Cavs head back home, down 3-2 in this series. Similar setup uh, to what we saw in the 2015 finals. Uh, obviously, the the sequence of, of who's won which games is different. But Golden State heads back to Cleveland for game six with a chance to close it out. Do they get it done? 
Yes, I think so. Uh, you know, the, the Draymond Green thing was, was a big deal. Obviously, I think that they could have probably withstood the Kyrie Irving game had they had Draymond Green there to help on, on LeBron. I mean, LeBron was kind of getting to the rack at, at will. Uh, you obviously don't expect Kyrie to shoot like that any other time in this series. I mean, it, it could happen, but, I, I mean, the odds are against it. Uh, the odds are against LeBron being able to get that many clean looks at the basket either with, with Draymond healthy. So I, I'm just going to pick the better team regardless of where it's being played. Yeah, I'm with you there. I think, you know, the obvious argument is those two guys can't play like that again. And I think LeBron can play like that again. I think he's he's done it enough times and he did it virtually for the entire finals last year. And, and he was more efficient, granted, uh, last night than he, than he was in the 2015 finals. But like you said, Kyrie's not going 17 I, for 24 I don't again. think LeBron can do that again with with Draymond out there personally I think that it was kind of the perfect storm well right I mean I think he can put up those numbers if he wants I don't know if he can do it on 16 to 30 shooting in a Cavaliers win right you know I think he can he can get he can basically get to 40 and 15 whenever he wants it's just a matter of whether he does it efficiently and whether it actually helps the team obviously last night it did help the team when he was doing it last year you know you could kind of argue that you know surely he didn't have the supporting cast but you know they were somewhat empty numbers because of the results of the games but Um, I mean, this is a game, even without Draymond, I think a lot of people thought Golden State had the momentum. They were at home. They were going to close out the Cavaliers. And I still kind of felt that way until, you know, mid third quarter of that game on Monday night, it started to kind of shift towards Cleveland's way. And then they started the fourth quarter strongly. And, you know, I think with four or five minutes left, Brandon Rush was in the game when it was only a 12 or 13 point deficit for Golden State. So, you know, the way that they were shooting the ball and the way certainly that Cleveland was shooting the ball, you didn't feel great about Golden State getting back into it. But I did think they waved the white flag a few possessions earlier than I thought that they would. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, it's it definitely when they did put Rush in, I thought the game was pretty much over. Um, right. You know, that the whole I, I would have thought the Warriors would have won that game even without Draymond with it being at home. But then you factor in the the Kyrie game. I mean, if he just goes for like 26 or 27, I think the Warriors do probably get the win there. So, uh, you know, I think it it was kind of – he wasn't missing really, especially in the the second half. And some of those were perfect shots if you're the Warriors' defense, you know, like pull-up threes uh, in transition – I think you'll take that if you're the Warriors. So I think that they're they're kind of happy with thing, where things are. Obviously, they would have liked to close out last night at home, but uh, I still think they have the upper hand in a big way. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think even if they even if they come out flat on Thursday and Cleveland's able to get that one at home, you have to feel really, really good about about coming back home with your with your full squad. And maybe they don't have Andrew Bogut. He went down. I think to me, it, it didn't look quite as bad as as Bogut's reaction you know after the play he kind of he went up to block a, a J.R. Smith layup did get the block uh, and then Smith's momentum kind of carried him into Bogut's lower body as he landed and it looked maybe like a hyperextension you know certainly we're not in any position uh, to, do- to judge that but the Warriors came out Tuesday morning announced it as a as a sprain so that's typically what you you know what it's called you know in any situation like this you know whether it ends up being a hyperextension whether it ends up being a tear of, of some sort of ligament but I think to me it's hard to see Andrew Bogut turning around and playing in in game six on Thursday even with a few days in between because the, the, the amount of pain that he was in and and just the way that you know he, he didn't come back out to the to the bench at all they were talking this morning about him just you know it was a positive that he was able to put any weight on it at all even if he is somehow able to play there's no way he would be anywhere near 100 percent no 
I I mean he's he's a big part of their right. defense, obviously, so that's a pretty big blow. But uh, you know, I I think having Draymond back is a net positive, even without without Bogut. Right. I mean, yeah, you don't have Andrew Bogut. You still have Azili. You still have Verjao, who, who's played well in spurts in the series. And then obviously this just means more minutes with Draymond at the five, which is obviously giving Cleveland plenty of problems. But LeBron, second best finals basketball reference game score ever, kind of a, a way that the basketball reference measures single game PER in, in some ways is kind of how I interpret it. There's a lot of talk on Twitter after the game. Was this better to you than that game six 2012 performance uh, in Boston when the Miami Heat, you know, on the heels of losing to Dallas the previous year, down 3-2 in that series. LeBron comes out with 45 points. This kind of had that same feel. LeBron had 41-16-7, three steals, three blocks. Which of those two games was more impressive to you? Uh, 2012 game, if you factor in the team they're playing and the the context of the game, I guess, and specifically, I mean, it, none of none of what he was doing last night seemed very difficult. Uh, I guess, I, I mean, he was just kind of driving and people weren't stopping the ball and, um, you know, he, he hit some, some threes that he hasn't really been hitting this postseason. but, uh, you know, the rebounding, I mean, that there were just tons of opportunities for that, uh, given, given the players that were out on the court. I mean, I thought going up against Boston's, uh, defense and just kind of the, the pace of play in that game I thought it was a, a lot more impressive back in 2012 yeah and just the stakes I feel like were higher back then he didn't have a championship at that point he was coming off of a, a terrible by his standards finals performance the year before and and you know Miami with the regular season that they had had that year I think the expectation was that they would beat that aging Boston team and you know through the first five games of that series looked like it wasn't going to be the case but no I think I think if you look at it from a purely numbers and, and maybe purely basketball perspective last night's game is probably more impressive and and you know the game score however much you put into that would back that up but I think if you take everything into context the the 2012 game is going to be hard for him to ever top and then maybe we'll see something over these next two games uh you know to to accomplish that but last thing on the finals I wanted to ask Channing Fry, DMPCD in this game Kevin Love played 33 minutes took five shots the only shot he made was a, a catch and shoot mid-range baseline jumper about 18 feet only had three rebounds was beat it seemed like to every 50-50 ball uh, in this game did you like Tyron Lue leaving him out there you know even though if you're on Twitter during this game the cries were you know get Kevin Love out of this game he's not giving them anything did you like that they kept him in there even to keep his confidence up if that's maybe the rationale uh I honestly wasn't I wasn't on Twitter during the game and I just have come to the I've gotten to the point where I just don't expect anything out of him really uh beyond like uh being a role player for this team and just the way like the way Kyrie and LeBron were playing I just didn't even really notice it like I I honestly didn't even it didn't occur to me that he was playing poorly because all of their possessions were just kind of one-on-one possessions and it's it's not like they were swinging it a ton and he was like really slowing down the offense. I mean, a lot of it was just Kyrie taking the ball and, and going one-on-one or, or LeBron taking the ball and going one-on-one. I mean, it wasn't – it didn't stand out to me really. Like, they got to get this guy off the floor because Kyrie and LeBron were playing so well uh, kind of outside the, the flow of the offense, I guess. So, um, yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, I don't know who – I mean, Shannon Fry said it was a DNPCD. Right. I guess that would have been the option. But, I mean, he's uh, – He hasn't been great either. Kind of a mess on – yeah, I mean, they both have sort of similar weaknesses. 
so yeah, I, I guess I didn't really mind it. Um, I think if they, you know, they'll find themselves in a game either either game six tonight or game seven where they need uh, people other than LeBron and Kyrie to, to be doing stuff and, and to step up. And I think at that point it might it might kind of become a a big X factor whether or not he's playing well. But last night it just didn't really stand out to me. I thought Love was fine defensively. Maybe that's why he played 33 minutes. I mean, he certainly wasn't great defensively, but he he wasn't getting beat. You know, he was his rim protection. I thought was fine. He was a beneficiary of a couple kind of 50-50 calls with guys coming into him. You know, he got some verticality uh, calls going his way. There is a lot made when he gets switched on to Curry, and you know, it's a, a couple crossovers and Curry splashed. I think two threes over Love, but I, I don't know what you really do. I mean, he did the same thing to Tristan Thompson. He's done the same thing to everybody in the league. Um, you know, it's not like love is falling over sideways when he guards Curry. I don't really have a big problem with that, but I think they more or less froze him out of the offense in the second half. And I don't, I don't know if it was intentional or if it was more of LeBron has it going. Kyrie really has it going. There's really no reason to try to work love into the offense when those two players were scoring the way they were. But what's concerning to me is it seems at the point of really every playoff game, not just in the finals, they make a point to get love the ball down low and he just can't he can't move who's ever defending him. I mean, this is a guy who's supposed to make his living down low, even when he gets Thompson, Iguodala, Barnes on him. It seems like he ends up being a foot or two further away from the basket by the time he ends up, you know, throwing up that contested righty, you know, jump hook that we've seen from him so often. And he just doesn't have the confidence. You know, he, he gets doubled and, and it's basically 50, 50 chance. The ball makes it out of there. Uh, so that's, what's concerning to me. You know, it's not that he's just out there, you know, bricking open threes. It's that he can't even get looks. To me, it I don't. I guess uh, you know. Obviously, he's got a he's a bigger name than guys like J.R. Smith or Iman Shumpert and and those guys. But to me, he's just one of those guys. So like, I don't look at it as like, oh, they can't get Kevin Love going. I mean, they weren't getting. You know, they froze Shumpert out. They froze like J.R. Smith. I don't even. He, he was like kind of non-existent. I mean, the, Jr. has had a rough, rough like, finals. Like it's not to me. It's just there's there's on offense because of LeBron being on the team. Kevin Love can't play his natural position. So to me, on offense, that there's two alpha dogs, and then the rest of the guys are just role players. So I don't. When Kevin Love doesn't have a good night, to me, that's just as like headline worthy as Iman Shumpert had a crappy night. You know, I mean, because it's right. not. It's not. You're right about like getting the the ball in the post and. Uh, it not really being a a big time set in terms of what they would like it to be, but I mean he wasn't really a guy that they played through in the post all season long. I don't know. I mean they they would give him uh, a few looks here and there, but it wasn't a big part of their offense. So I don't really know why it would be here. No, that is true, and I, I think you know Kevin Love is certainly a better player than Shumpert and mm-hmm. J.R. Smith when he's in the right position. But like you said, I, did, I, mean, I don't know what the expectation is for this big three. I mean, do they all have to go you know twenty and ten for Love? 25 and 6 for Irving. It's a big 3 by like name. Right. It's not a big 3 based on the way they're used in the offense or the way that they've really played all season long in my opinion. Right. I mean, I think they need to get more than more from Love than 2 points and 3 rebounds though. Mm-hmm. I mean, you can't you can't say you aren't they need more, you can't say you aren't disappointed by that. I mean, 3 rebounds. Yeah, I think he was getting he got beat one on one for a, a, basically a 50-50 rebound by Curry in the third quarter of that game last night. I think you need more on the glass, although a lot of, I mean, part of the reason LeBron had like 16 rebounds is because he was just trying out crashing even his like own teammates. Well, he doesn't, he doesn't go for rebounds in the regular season. Yeah. Like Um, he does in the postseason. It's not, I just, I don't know. I think that the people's, yeah, he should, the rebounds, I mean, 
he should have done more. I guess I just don't think mm-hmm. the expectations are appropriate right now. Yeah, I mean, if there's any th- any positive to take from that or from that Kevin Love performance, that he really can't do a whole lot worse. And you know Irving's going to come back down to earth, even though they go back home. And you know LeBron's not putting up 41, 16, and 7 again. But you have to think Kevin Love gives them something more than, than two points and three rebounds. I mean, the fact that they're able to win a game when they get that kind of production from Kevin Love, I think has to be viewed as a positive. But let's switch over to the NBA draft, sounding more and more like Ben Simmons. Uh, I wouldn't say maybe quite a lock to go number one to Philly, but I think it would be a major surprise at this point, uh, as, a, as it really has been for the last couple of weeks, if that's not the scenario. Does that mean one, at least one, I should say, of Joel Embiid, Nerlens Noel, and Joel Okafor kind of has to be traded? Because I know you think Ben Simmons is a four at the NBA level, and I think that's probably the prevailing belief around the league. If they go with Simmons, if and when they go with Ben Simmons, can they have all four of those guys, you know, being productive pieces of this roster? Uh, Long term, they would have to move. Um, And I I think uh, Dario Saric fits in there, too. Yep, exactly. Forgot about him. So I think long term, they got to move at least one of those guys, preferably two. Uh, Embiid's the one that they're not going to move. Saric is probably next in line in terms of they're not going to move him. Uh, You know, I think it's it probably comes down to who has the most demand on the trade market. I mean, if a team views Okafor as someone that could be a top three option for them and, and possibly on a, on a winning team, then they probably move him and just kind of take what they can get. But I, I don't necessarily think it has to happen uh, before the season starts either. Um, I mean, they're not going to just sell one of these guys. Like to me, Noel is a role player who <laughs> I would just take a, similar role player back uh at a different position it could be a flawed role i mean he's a flawed role player he can't he can't do a lot of stuff on offense so i think if you take like a say like a three-point shooter who's awful on defense or something back for him i think that that's a that's a fair trade uh okafor is he's so dominant uh at certain in certain situations on offense that I think you could ask for a little bit more back than you could with Noel, and and maybe you think that you can kind of tweak parts of Okafor's game just because he does have that excellent skill on offense. But, yeah, I mean, if they take Simmons, it's just there's no way to kind of deploy a lineup that makes a ton of basketball sense where you're using uh, even four of your five best players, let alone all five of them. Even if they didn't add anybody to this core of three you would eventually have to get rid of one of them right I mean unless mm-hmm. unless you see one of these guys as a you know a long-term bench center for you and you're going to play two centers which you know no team really does uh, in the NBA anymore it's just kind of an archaic way to play um, but I would the I, I don't think they need to rush into anything you know there were rumors you know was it last week or two weeks ago about you know Nerlens Noel for Jeff Teague and you know whoever else would have been involved and so the players in that deal the Sixers then come out, and it sounds like they would rather trade Okafor than Noel. I mean, I'm kind of with you. I think I think Okafor's value is a little bit higher right now, partially because maybe he's a little bit more unknown. Th- you know, well, I think if you're just looking at it and and how they fit with Simmons, I think Noel fits better with Simmons uh, just because of what he does defensively yes. and the fact that you know Okafor kind of needs an old school post up. And if Simmons is kind of running your offense, there aren't that doesn't make a ton of sense to to kind of do that. Where Simmons is kind of standing there watching Okafor pound the ball into the ground and and turn around and, and lay it up. So 
yeah, I mean, in that sense, I think it makes sense. I'd prefer Okafor if I was the team trading. I, I just think that he has more useful offensive skills and defensively, like you can kind of hide a guy like that if, if he's the only one that's not really pulling his weight, whereas Noel, and just given his complete limitations offensively, I think that's that's tougher to hide. All right, when I first asked you this question, you said they can't trade Joel Embiid. I'm with you on that. Can they not trade him because his potential is still so high or because there just isn't the interest because the risk is too high? I, I don't think they would be able to get market value for him. I think they could. I think there's still that mystique. You know, every every month there's still some video leaked of him throwing down a between-the-legs dunk in practice. Like, it works both ways, but you what, know? I mean, every team knows that the, the Sixers have – all of the information, right? Right. So, like, you're just terrified of them knowing something that you don't know. True. And they're going to be asking for a legitimate, like, franchise cornerstone back for him. So, I mean, the guy that you would have to trade, I think, to get him, like, you know, would you trade a guy like, you know, whoever, Jimmy Butler? No, no, I mean, no, no, no. That, but that's the type of guy that they're going to ask you th- for. I, yeah, I mean, ask for, sure, realistically expect that. So that's, why, it, that's why he's not tradable. Let's they're say you can ask for that, and they're not going to get. That. Okay, let's say you could flip Embiid for a pick in this draft. If you're if you're another team, you know, just throw out context roster. Like, at what pick would you be say comfortable saying I will trade this number pick straight up for Joel Embiid? Three and beyond. That high? Yeah. Really? Okay. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. You so you think the Sixers could get like three from Boston straight up for Embiid? I wouldn't take anything less than that if I was them. Like I and hmm. I don't even know. If I don't I know. Do I that. I think you could do something where three gets you Okafor. So I don't. I don't see yeah. the, the reason why. Um, yeah. I, I just. I think you're. I think we're just. We disagree on what Embiid's value is on the on the market, or at least what sure. the Sixers would be willing to take back for him. I just think if you can get Embiid for you know what's basically Buddy Heald, Chris Dunn, Jamal Murray. And for me, I would take that. You know, there's still so much that's unknown with Embiid, and he could end up being better than any of those guys. But there's also a much larger risk that he's considerably worse than those guys. And by considerably worse, we basically mean he's not going to play. Yeah, no, I mean there is. I just don't. I don't think there's a star left in this draft after the yeah. top two. And I think Embiid could be a star. So I guess true. That's, that's kind of that's true. Do you think Embiid, if Embiid's in this draft with Simmons and Ingram, is he the clear number one? You know, if it if we rewind two years where we didn't know no. about these, no, I think uh, I think he's in the mix. Like mm-hmm. I think I think it would be kind of him and Ingram. You know, everyone seems to everyone thinks Simmons is going one. I think that would still be the case. And then I think you'd have uh, small pockets of people saying Ingram should go one, and small pockets of people saying Embiid should go one. And then it would depend on who was picking second. And, and, mm-hmm. and as to which one went two and which one went three. But I still think Simmons goes ahead of uh, Embiid, even if we flash back mm-hmm. to where his stock was. So you and I and most prognosticators, I think really most if not all prognosticators at this point, have Brandon Ingram going two to the Lakers. Reports over the weekend saying the Lakers reportedly considering other options beyond Ingram. It's tough to tell if that just means they're doing their homework on other guys for whatever reason. Um, I mean, is, is it would be a good idea or a bad idea to to pass on Brandon Ingram for a guy like Chris Dunn or for a guy like Dragon Bender, and I, I think I know what this, your answer might be. A, a, I mean, do I have to answer this? Like, I mean, it's it's insane. Uh, you can pass if you I, want. I think. I mean, I think I've said I would take Ingram over Simmons. So, like, I obviously think it's insane to take 
anyone yeah, else over Ingram. Well, this is kind of like last year, too, where it seemed around this time, maybe a little bit earlier, you know, with us being just over a week from the draft, that Joel Okafor was going to go to the Lakers at two. And then D'Angelo Russell kind of gained some late steam uh, with the workout, and then he ends up being the pick there. But there was, I mean, the Okafor thing, everyone kind of references. Yeah, yeah. So he, everyone kind of agreed Towns was going one at a, at a certain point in the the spring. And then... I, th- I kind of thought it was everyone sort of agreed, uh, at least by this time, if not sooner, that it was sort of up in the air as to who was going to out of Okafor, uh, Russell, um, you know, even there, even some of those other guys. I think were people wouldn't have been all that shocked mm-hmm. if they'd gotten number two. Whereas right now, who's that? Like, I, I don't see it as kind of a toss up. I think. There's maybe there's a report that they're looking at other players, but I do think it would just be a, a complete shock, like an all-time draft day shock, if someone else went number two. No, I agree. There wasn't that. There wasn't that tier last year, you know, where you know you get you get beyond the top two, and it would and there's a clear drop off. I think you could, you know, there were four or five guys who were all kind of in that mix uh, at the top, and it, and it wouldn't have been that surprising. But no, I'm with you. I mean, I think. I think Lakers fans would be would be very upset if Brandon Ingram's not the pick. And yeah, you know, I, I I like Jamal Murray. I like Buddy Heald. I like Chris Dunn. But the only those guy, guys aren't Ingram. The like the only guy where he could get, get pick number two, and I would I would still be shocked, but I wouldn't be like like floored and like having to pick myself up off the ground would be if like Dragon Bender went number two, just because he's. Uh, kind of an unknown and you know who knows like they could have both those guys in for a workout and it could just be abundantly clear to everyone there that Bender's the better player even if maybe that's incorrect like they might just have no choice in their minds to take Bender but like you know Ingram's been doing the exact same thing the rest of these these college guys have been doing for the past calendar year and he's been by far the best one and he's measurables are just by far better and uh it's just that there would be no justifiable explanation for me to, to take mm-hmm. another college player over him. Well, I think Porzingis helps guys like Bender too. I, I think the, his success last year, I mean, there was, there was kind of a, a run for a while there of, of iffy international prospects, you know, going real high in draft that, that I think maybe had scared teams off for a few years, but you don't want to be the team that skips the next Porzingis. And no. You know, I think it can kind of work against Bender because if he doesn't play that well for whoever takes him in year one, you know, it's, it's going to be tough to really top what Porzingis did for the Knicks last year. But I think I think Porzingis helped the international prospects as a whole. You know, especially guys who who sit in that you know top ten, top five range. Um, is there any chance one? So if we're assuming Simmons and Ingram go one two, is there any chance that these any of these six players fall beyond number eight? Jalen Brown, Buddy Heald, Jamal Murray. Chris Dunn, Dragon Bender, Marquise Chris. Those guys, to me, seem to be the consensus to, uh, three through yes. eight picks. I mean, it, I, I shouldn't. maybe I shouldn't phrase it that. I mean, there's certainly a chance that one of those guys goes beyond eight. But if, if that were to happen, which of those guys do you think uh, could fall on draft night? Uh, hmm. Yeah, I mean, I, I definitely agree that it is a, a clear top eight. Um. I mean, it just, it depends. I could, I guess Jalen Brown. He seems to be the guy that that's kind of getting pushed down as Marquise Chris kind of rises. It's, you know, you start seeing Brown in the seven, eight range a little more. I could, I guess Brown and Heald 
Brown and Heald and Chris are really the only ones I could I could see falling. Uh, I don't I don't see any way done and Murray don't go top eight. I don't see any way Bender doesn't go top eight. So um, I, I'd still I would take. You know the Kings are picking at eight, which makes it, which which is <laughs> which extra open, wild, which card. opens the door for for <laughs> a lot of different things to happen there. But uh, <laughs> that's that's an extremely good point. I didn't think of that. Um, you know, I I don't know. I I think the Kings also know though, like, you know, they're 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 aware of the way that people are kind of viewing this draft. They know that to do something <laughs> other than to take one of those guys. Do with, they though? I mean, I did. I mean, Vladdy have they was finally walking, he finally reached the point? He's so. kicking the tires um, on some guys. I don't know. I, well, I, I think a better question though is if it if it isn't those guys in the top eight or, ma- or making up the top eight, who has the best chance sure. to jump into the top eight that that's not among that can kind of consensus. I went Deontay Davis at nine. In my la- in my latest mock draft uh, last week, and you know part of that is positional. Uh, I don't know that he's necessarily the ninth best player, or you know the ninth ranked player. If I were to to put together a big board, um, but you know I think him. I think Timothy Luawu is a guy that you know a team could fall in love with in a private workout. Scal. Yep. Scal's still sitting yep, there. That's the guy. Scal for you. I think I think Scal. Mr. I, toughness. Scal and, and Davis are the two that I could see. Um, just because I could see those It's got to be the upside. I could see those guys wowing in a workout to the mm-hmm. point where they, they push themselves up there. You don't see Pirtle wowing in a workout? <laughs> uh, you know, when I, it was funny. When I watched that, I was watching some videos Chad Ford was tweeting out of, like, some private workouts that, like, CAA had their, their clients take part in. And one of them was, like, it was Dunn and Alfred Payton and uh, Carl Anthony Towns and someone was guarding Carl Anthony Towns and I just I I just assumed it was like just some random sort of stiff that they just you know brought in like maybe someone like on a bench or something yeah like someone like that just kind of in there just to be a size guy but it was actually it was Pirtle so um, (laughs) just this guy getting abused by Towns didn't didn't jump off the (laughs) didn't jump off the tape uh, really, uh, not that I would expect him to hold his own against Towns. I mean, nobody. Wait, so w- was this like a workout of Pirtle defending Towns, or was, a Towns yeah, workout? Where... It was. It was um, Pirtle and uh, Chris Dunn were clients of the same agency, sure. and so were Peyton and Towns. So they had uh, they had Dunn working against Peyton in and poor Elf Towns work or Pirtle working against Towns in a, in pick and roll situations. So. Uh, yeah, I mean it. It wasn't really that. Fair, Ho- hopefully, not too many scouts saw that video. I mean, Pirtle <laughs> might be out of the lottery at this point. Yeah. I mean, that's not who you want to. Wor- uh, not doing him any favors, really. Like, no. Hey, like, want to see our client get abused by Carlton Towns? Yeah, how does his How does his agency let him cameras on during <laughs> yeah, that? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, Dunn looked good, but I mean, they did Dunn the favor by having right. to play against Peyton. Yeah, um, and then and then they were like, no. So Marquise Chris, uh, by far the biggest riser, uh, I think, since the combine. A, a guy that you know at the beginning of this entire draft process was, you know, mid to late first rounder, and now you might see him as high as three on some mock drafts to Boston. Um, I mean, it it seems odd that a guy who the numbers weren't all that good, he wasn't a big time recruit, he wasn't even a top fifty. Uh, overall ranked recruit mm-hmm. coming into this freshman year at Washington. The team didn't make the tournament. Um, I mean, this rise is basically based 
on individual workouts, on potential, um, on the athleticism of Chris and, you know, not to knock him too much for his in-game play. I mean, he was, he was a very good player for them, but he couldn't stay on the court. He fouled out of, you know, 45% of their games, uh, last season. And, you know, obviously that prevented him from, from really showing what he can do. How risky is taking Marquise Chris, you know, somewhere in the top six or seven picks? Uh, I, I don't know. I don't think it's that risky just because I don't think anybody you'd pass on. Uh, let's let's say that he doesn't go number three. Let's say Bender goes three or I, I just I don't see that player going behind him that is just going to make the team that takes him look like total idiots where, you know, say they passed on uh, Buddy Heald to take or say a team passes on healed to take Chris or a team passes on uh, even Jamal Murray to take Chris. I just don't see Murray or healed being the type of player that just really everyone's just like, oh, my man. Right. Do you imagine if they had <laughs> Jamal Murray, like the way people do with the teams that passed on Steph Curry and stuff right. like that? Uh, so I think but, – but I also think you have that chance if you take Chris to be that team that's laughing mm-hmm. like two or three years down the road that you were able to get this guy who uh, has the – potential to be like the third best player in this in this draft I, I i think one of the things that really helped him was his uh the way he interviewed with teams because mm-hmm. i think a lot of them had questions about you know his maturity and his his work ethic and stuff like that and i think he really uh answered those questions uh and people just now kind of look right. at the makeup and the, the fact that he's one of the best athletes in this class and the fact that he can shoot and the fact that he can protect the rim and, and see a guy that they can, they can really mold. No, I think that's a really good point. Um, and we, we, you know, we talked to him very briefly at the combine and it was clear. I mean, for a guy who's, I think he's still 18. I don't know. I think he doesn't turn 19 until later in the summer. You know, I think it's easier to put faith in an 18 year old who is as well-spoken as he is. And, you know, is, is clearly you know, has his head on straight. And I guess, you know, there's not that fear that, he's going to turn into a, a Darius Miles type of case. And, you know, I mean, the way that he comes out of Washington, it's almost like coming out of high school, I guess. You know, I mean, it's not – this wasn't a tournament team. This this wasn't a situation where he entered, you know, thinking he was going to be a one and done. I think the process of, you know, going from where he was at the start of the season for Washington to potential top five pick, you know, I don't think Marquise Chris ever saw that coming, you know, in, in, the, in a year's span. So – I think the way that he's handled this this whirlwind process has showed teams a lot, and, and that's why he's up in the top five now. Boston at three is interesting. If you're Boston and you can't move out of three come draft night, you have to make this pick for yourself, whether you intend to trade it you know, later in draft night or, or sometime in the coming days afterward. Is Chris enough of an asset that you maybe take him and just kind of for lack of a better word, hold him hostage and, and kind of see what you can get for him? You, do you just take him as the, the biggest talent available at three if you're forced to make that pick for yourself? Uh, I don't think that that would be the move. I think if you take if you take Chris, I think uh, you'd be better off just kind of holding him at that point and, and developing and sort of seeing what you got. I, I, view, I kind of view guys like Murray and and healed and done as the types of guys that you would take and then trade because I think they're just kind of known quantities. I think every team sort of knows exactly what they're getting with those three guys. Whereas uh, you're you're not going to trade like a, a franchise player if the headliner back is a guy like Chris, where right. you just have really no idea what you're getting. I think you'd want to know uh, kind of with with some solid confidence what you're getting back. 
No, that's true. I mean, I, I think there are teams that see Jamal Murray and see Chris Dunn as, you know, potential second, third options immediately for them. Mm-hmm. You know, there, there are teams out there that think they're Chris Dunn away from maybe making the playoffs in a year or two. And I think it's hard to make that argument for Marquise Chris, you know, and that you really don't know how he fits at the NBA level. I, I just, I think you're right there. Mm-hmm. I, I think there are teams that, that that have their eye on Murray and will try to move up to get Jamal Murray on draft night. I don't necessarily think that there are teams. Yeah, it's so it's really hard to fall in love with Marquise Chris to the point that you're willing to kind of stake, you know, a, not only a draft pick, but you know, if you're going to trade, you have to give up something mm-hmm. else, whether it's a player or you know additional picks, future picks to move up and get him. Then you're raising the stakes even more, and you know that's 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 a lot to to put on an 18 year old. I I definitely think if if a team trades up to number three. Uh, Murray's going to be the guy. I just think Murray. He's, I think he's the type of guy that a team could talk themselves into being uh, that type of player that you, you trade up to get. I don't think any team's trading up to get a guy like Heald. Uh, I guess Dunn maybe might be the other one, but mm-hmm. nobody's trading up to get a guy like Heald or a guy like uh, Jalen Brown or Chris, really. I just think that those are guys you take when the risk outweighs mm-hmm. or the reward outweighs the risk and you're sitting on the clock. I think Chris could land at four to Phoenix. Phoenix has another lottery pick. They're the only team with two lottery picks, and that second one comes at 13. So obviously you're not going to have a chance at you know these kind of these eight, top eight guys uh, that we're talking about. So you're not going to be able to get two of them. But I think you you can kind of mitigate the risk a little bit. You know, by if you grab Chris at four, you can go. You know, you can get Pirtle, you can get Baldwin, Ellenson, somebody like that at 13 to to kind of mitigate that risk a little bit. But I mean, regardless, it's going to be it's going to be a big risk, you know, high risk, high reward uh, for Marquise Chris. And I, I kind of see him being, I think he's either going to be really good or, you know, have a, a brief career. Yeah. You know, I see this almost as a Tyrus Thomas type of situation where, you know, there's a lot there. There's a lot that makes you think, yeah, this guy could be a really good NBA player. I just don't see there being much of a medium with him. No, uh, no, because either he kind of figures out how to, be more assertive on the glass and he does legitimately offer uh nba range or he doesn't and if he doesn't then you're just looking at a guy that can catch lobs and rock right. shots in like 10, and, there, and there's a to be 10, fair there's a, a game, yeah i mean there's a place for him somewhere but that's not that's not what you're hoping to get in the top 10 uh wade baldwin seems to be moving up uh, a little bit and still not gaining a ton of steam but has moved his way into the late lottery and in a lot of mocks i think to me he's he's moved himself ahead of demetrius jackson those two are kind of in that that second tier of point guards after after chris dunn and if you want to throw jamal murray into that he's technically listed uh on the official nba draft entry list as a point guard jamal murray that is and you know i think it, wherever he lands will probably determine which backcourt spot he plays more often. But to you, do you have Wade Baldwin ahead of Demetrius Jackson? And, and if so, how big is the gap? Well, I should say I still have DeJounte Murray ahead of both of them. But, uh, but Baldwin, yeah, I've, I've had Baldwin ahead of Jackson the whole, the whole time, or at least ever since we went to the combine. Um, I just don't, I don't see any, you know, physically, I just love the fact that Baldwin can, can guard multiple positions. Jackson can't really do that. Uh, I mean, it would have to be a really short shooting guard for him to, to guard anything other than point guard. I don't think it's clear how either of them are going to shoot at the next level, and so I don't I don't see that as a as a big plus in Jackson's favor. I, they're both pretty impressive athletes, so I don't really see that as a big plus in Jackson's favor. 
Um, yeah, I think it's Baldwin all the way if we're just comparing those two guys. Yeah, I'm with you on that. I mean, DeJounte Murray is basically the point guard version of Marquise Chris in this draft, and you know, his stock, I guess, on the consensus hasn't risen as much as Chris's has, but you still see rumors Murray could go at the end of the lottery. There, you know, there are teams that really like him. There are teams that don't have him on their board. I mean, how high would you go, Murray? I, I think you're about as high on him as, as just about anyone. Yeah, no, I, I would take I would take him. Uh, I mean, I haven't spoken to him, so that, that obviously is a big deal. I mean, like, you can only see so much on tape. I mean, he could just be a complete knucklehead that you have no faith in ever kind of putting in the work that it's going to require to succeed. But, I mean, if he passes all those those kinds of intangible tests, I'd take him over. I'd take him over a guy like Jalen Brown. I'd probably take him. I'd, I'd probably take him over if I'm a rebuilding team. I'd probably take him over a guy like Buddy Heald. Um, you know, I, to me, I think he's a top six or seven uh, player in this draft, just based on upside. And after the top two, I think, unless you're in win now mode, based on something your owner's telling you, or based on your roster, like the T Wolves are, uh, I think you have to kind of try to get a star at, at that point in the draft if you have a pick that high so to me he's I'd, or, or maybe I'd trade back to try to get him mm-hmm. if I if I didn't think that there was a, a risk of him going in the next five or six picks but yeah I mean to me Murray's the the type of guy that could really we'd be looking back on this draft and you're, you'll hear, hear people say you know if he'd fallen to us we would have taken him that kind of right. thing like you hear with guys like uh, Rodney Hood and Draymond Green yeah we talked about the Kings at eight that would be that would be close to Pete Kings to to pull the trigger on Dejounte no, Murray. No, it wouldn't. It would be at the anti Kings because it would be an awesome move. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, I mean, if you're talking just draft night reaction, like that would, yeah, that would people, be an audible gasp be, type of moment. Right. Yeah, but uh, I don't know. You, I mean, I that's that. that's too high. I like I like Dejounte Murray a ton, but I, that this is another one where I look at Phoenix at 13. It's like, all right, this is your second lottery pick. Then maybe let's take a chance. I mean, I'm not if I'm. Maybe, I don't know. Maybe you could make a case for Toronto. If I'm, if I'm New Orleans at six, that's way too much of a risk. If I'm Minnesota at five, I have a nice core in place. I have a chance to add a very safe option. I should I should add you like well I I already yeah I mean I don't think he's a good fit at all at Minnesota. Um, I think it's important if you're going to take him in the top in in the lottery. Really, I think it's important that you're a GM with with really really good job security uh, because you have to be comfortable making that pick and not looking looking over your shoulder if it doesn't work out uh so that's that's why i would maybe Mm -hmm. think it might make sense like toronto might make sense um i mean dell demps is gonna get fired pretty soon so he can't he can't screw up that pick this could be Uh, his last hurrah (laughs) yeah and you know that there seems to be a new gm in phoenix every every two years Mm -hmm. so that i mean that's not a pick that makes sense there it, it would have to be a guy that's very confident in their their standing within their organization. The Bulls are interesting because I mean this is a team that clearly needs a point guard, and maybe you maybe you address that in free agency. Maybe you wait until next draft when when Derrick Rose is off the books. But I mean, if you're looking at upside, I like Wade Baldwin. I know you like Wade Baldwin too, but I don't know if we ever see him as you know more than a, at best he's kind of a Mike Conley, and that's probably at his absolute absolute best. Yeah. Uh, Not that you're dissatisfied to have a Mike Conley on your team, but I, I think the DeJounte Murray upside is considerably higher. Yeah, I think I think so. Um, you know, maybe maybe Utah even makes some sense if they're just willing to. Oh kind yeah. Of, if they're just willing to kind of say, hey, like, 
you know, there's there's a shot that one of Exum or Murray turns into a franchise point guard, and like we're willing. No, to I don't hate that. Roll the dice and and hope that we get one out of those two guys. I think that that would that would make some sense. Yeah, a team like that that has other assets where you're not you're not staking it all on right. on Dejounte Murray's development. They're um, still just a they're still a healthy year from everyone and a good point guard right. away from being a really good team. And if they don't think there's that point guard sitting there for them, then like right. why not just roll the dice? On and you're at twelve. So, yeah. You're at twelve in a in a draft that's not viewed as that deep. I think if you're, <clears throat> I mean, I, I have them going with Scal in both of my last two mock drafts. Like, to me, you know, Murray and Scal are about equal risk. I think Murray might even be less of a risk than Scal. Yeah, it's definitely Scal's just so you have to use your um imagination imagination so much with him because there hasn't really been, you know, people talk about his shot, like a guy where really the only two things he brings to the table is like shooting and rim protection. Like how many players have there ever been like that? Like where it's just like he shoots and he blocks shots. Like that's like zero? Yeah. Like I mean like the answer is zero? Yeah. Like that's it's such a He shoots and then he just gets right to the rim. Yeah. <laughs> yeah like it's it's very it's so I, unique and so like it doesn't fit like so that's one of my favorite things with like kind of trying to do this process every year is like you like to sort of look for trends or something like this reminds me of this and and that's what kind of I, Dejounte Murray really reminds me a ton of uh, a guy like Russell Westbrook, not in terms of the player, but in terms of um, just sort of what they were able to put on tape in college, and the fact that it, it kind of took a, a bold, it would take a bold GM to, to kind of take him there. With Scal, there's just nothing where I'm like, oh yeah, you know, maybe he could be like this guy. I mean, it just doesn't really exist. No, that's true. I mean, I, I just get a little bit skeptical, and I think Scal is is more developed and there is more tape whether it's at kentucky or or in the high school of him being a decent three-point shooter but i think around this time last year there were there were videos coming out of willie Cauley stein working out and just draining threes i mean it was you know eight nine threes in a row and you know and whether whether that impacted the king's decision to draft him which which looks like a fine decision nothing against that he took two threes last year you know i think it's a lot of guys can pull up and hit threes in one-on-o situations in workouts, can you actually do it in the flow of a game when it well, makes sense? Scal would hit, you know, Scal hit like 15, 18 footers in the flow of the yeah, well, sure. at Kentucky. I mean, I think, I mean, that's more than anyone his size typically does in their freshman year of college. Like, I mean, that's not a. No, that's true. I mean, he, he, he probably showed more range and like a more fluid motion last year than Carl Hay Towns did his freshman year. I mean, it just, it was so bad. Everything else was just so bad that it, it didn't really translate into any kind of uh, people people bumping up how good of a player he was. So we touched on the Bulls. Um, there are rumors this morning and I think a little bit last night even um, that the Timberwolves want Jimmy Butler, but the Bulls are demanding Andrew Wiggins as part of the package in return. And you know, certainly these Butler rumors are no surprise, but if you could just do Wiggins for Butler straight up, which I don't think you can for salary reasons, but if you could just do just do that deal. If you're Minnesota, do you take Jimmy Butler or would you rather hold on to Wiggins? So Butler is under contract for three more, three more with, I believe an option. And Wiggins probably under contract for about three more too. Wiggins should have two more on the rookie deal. Uh, he'll be eligible for an extension and next can, summer. Yeah. Um, <sighs> that's, that's tough. <laughs> Butler's got three more plus a player option, but you have to think 
with the way that the cap's going up, he probably declines that player option because it'll look low in four or three years in the summer of, you know, 2019. Uh, I think I would actually probably do that. I think I, I would too. I think there was a poll on Twitter. I want to say it was Josh Eberly. I think he's with Slam Magazine, and and it was like seventy thirty in favor of keep Wiggins, mm-hmm. which I was surprised I at. Like I don't, I wouldn't like pound my fist on the table. No, no, about no. It's making tough. that move, but I think given the fact, I think it, you got to factor in the fact that Thibodeau has a relationship with him, where he it's not a. To me, there are some issues with uh butler in terms of you know what he brings to the locker room i don't think that those are big issues from minnesota's standpoint just given uh tibbs being there i also think carl anthony towns is such a good player that it's there wouldn't be questions to me about whose team it was and i think if there were questions they'd be dis- dispelled pretty early on i also think towns isn't LeBron in the way that he needs that control necessarily. Right. I don't think there's like there's not going to be that clash. I think he seems he seems at least from our perspective that he would be fine sharing the spotlight, not being pushed out of the spotlight. Mm -hmm. But I don't think he would come in and try to you know him and Butler would clash. Well, and he knows too. I mean, it's it's just in the end, it's just talent. I mean, like if you're you know if he's if Carlton Towns is making the next like eight or ten first-team All-NBAs, and Jimmy Butler's not. I mean, it's not. there's not going to be much of a debate in the locker room whose team it is. Um, and I just think that – I just think what, what we know Butler brings from a d- defensive standpoint um, is is enough. And, and yeah, I think, I think it's enough to where you'd be willing to I, – I, I love Wiggins. I just – I don't know if there's another – level he can really get to as a player just given what i've seen from him on defense especially if you're minnesota the question you have to ask yourself is is andrew wiggins going to be better than jimmy butler markedly better than jimmy butler i mean you're taking a known commodity in butler and and you know i mean there's no debate that he's a a better player right now than andrew wiggins you just have to think can wiggins get that much better to the point where he's you know much more valuable asset contract and all that included i don't know i i think the jury's still out. I mean, you look at the I way like, Butler himself developed. Well, I like, but I, I think I like Butler's intensity too. Right. I, I think you can have guys like Wiggins where they're not that intense and you can still have a, an excellent team as long as they're not one of your two best guys. I think if the, if it's your third best guy, that that's fine. But I mean, look at like I mean, look at uh, like Harrison Barnes is a good example. Like on the on the Warriors, he's fine because he's on that team. But I think if if you're relying on Wiggins to be one of your two best players, I think his lack of intensity relative to Butler is is going to kind of hold you back, especially in the playoffs. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, the one question there is you have to look at Butler's timeline. I mean, he is he's going to be 26. Um, you know, obviously, there's such a young team in Minnesota. By the time that you know, his contract is up and you have that decision to make, you know, is that window big enough, I guess, to, to try to actually make something work because, you know, you never know what's going to happen trying to get a guy like that to sign back in Minnesota, you know, come 2019. Uh, but I mean, that, that's so far in the future that is tough they to project. They have enough like young players. Like, it's not like they're trading, they trade Wiggins and all of a sudden it's like, Oh man, like if we don't do going if, all in, it's not Butler and Towns, and th- those two guys don't lead us. I mean, you have other pieces no, that's true. there that are that, like Zach. 
Zach Levine, I mean, the the idea of even parting with Levine for Butler is something I'd have to contemplate. You think so? Bit. I talked with a Wolves friend, uh, Wolves fan friend of mine this morning about this, and he he was like, no, we're not giving up Levine. Like, if you could do... If you could do Levine, Shabazz Muhammad, number five overall pick for Butler, do you do that? That way you keep Wiggins? I think I'd rather just do the Wiggins one, honestly. I don't know. I, th- I mean, Chicago, according to these reports, wants Wiggins. They, that's the bottom line. Like, they don't, uh, not that they're not interested in the number five pick, but they'd rather have Wiggins. I just think you're, I think you're dealing too much depth there. Well, that's the thing. This is a very shallow team already. Like, to me, I'd rather just do the one for one. I think Levine. I think Levine's ceiling is probably beyond Wiggins. Honestly, I think I just think he's got that much more room to to kind of grow as a player. Whereas I don't really see Wiggins. Like Wiggins is just scoring, rebounding. Like that's it. Like, Defending though. That, Kind of like I mean he's he's a good defender because of how his body's right, built right, right now. Yeah, I mean he's not he's never going to be a bad defender, just even regardless of effort level, just because of yeah. how much of a physical freak he is. Yeah, I just he's not a he's not a good passer. He's not a guy that um, moves the ball well in the flow of an offense. He's not a max effort effort player his shot is his shot comes and goes um I think he's just an absolute monster on the block but you know so is Butler and I I don't know I'd rather I'd rather keep Levine and and whatever you're getting at number five uh than do than do the the the, or I'd rather keep that than than keep Wiggins personally I think if you have Wiggins and Butler together, you're severely probably hampering Wiggins' development. Yeah, yeah, I think Big time. the pieces fit better if you keep if you keep the Levine and and Baz in number five side as well. Although, if you, I mean, Rubio, Butler, Wiggins, Towns, Jang is a, a monster defensive team, or a defensive top five, <laughs> I should say. Then you have no bench at all. Right. I mean, yeah. In that sense, I can see how it would appeal to to Tibbs to to get try to get this done without moving Wiggins but also um you know you're taking a guy like you don't need if you have a coach like Tibbs and you have a guy like Towns and you have a guy like Butler and Rubio and Jang like you don't need the fifth guy to also be a stud defender True. you need the fifth guy to offer something those guys don't offer and to me that's that's shooting that's ball handling and passing and and running the break and I, I don't know if um this team does need shooting you're right yeah i, I, don't, I don't think you can you build five defenders fan. yeah exactly no that's a good point all right well it'll be interesting to see if anything happens with this whether it's before the draft after the draft or, or maybe even on draft night um quickly before we go any guys rising up your board uh, i assume you're going to try to put out one more mock uh before the draft next week um maybe <laughs> no uh, that it wasn't a it wasn't i wasn't debating whether or not that was going to happen um i wasn't confirming it's going to happen. no no i wouldn't I would uh, never go that far <laughs> um oh man i just i don't know if you can get a a cutter like bembry in most drafts no that uh, is true i mean you're gonna <laughs> some team is gonna get a transcendent cutter i mean i i still just kind of like the guys that i've that i've liked for a while uh no, nothing wrong with that. I don't think that's a 
I don't think that's a lukewarm take or you're trying to back out of no. the question. It's just there there aren't guys in this draft other than the you know the two that we've talked about already that are that are flying up boards. You know, you see Denzel Valentine's kind of been in that fourteen to eighteen range, same with Torian Prince, same with Demetrius Jackson. It's it's you know, each as these mock drafts and these reports keep coming out, they're pretty much the same. I feel like more guys are moving down boards. Yeah. Up boards. <laughs> it's like they're um, they're just blank spaces. Like yeah, like the people that are maybe moving up are only moving up because someone in front of them moves yeah. back down. Uh, doesn't seem, I mean, it seems like teams are cooling a bit on, on mm-hmm. Valentin. Uh, maybe. I don't know. I, I, To me, it's the top eight. And then I, I still love, I still love guys like Deontay Davis. Uh, still like Wade Baldwin quite a bit. Still love DeJounte Murray. Still like Sabonis. Still like Czech Dialu. Uh you know th- those are kind of the guys I like in that that first round range that I, I assume are still going to go there. Have you seen much of Malik Beasley at all? I, he wasn't working at the combine. He had had some foot surgery um, fairly recently, and it's, it's kind of limited his ability to work out. But I think there seems to be some rumors that he might have a promise. You know, somewhere <laughs> in the mid to late first round, and that might be why he's skipping the workouts because you know he he refuses to work out for any teams individually and whether that's him or his agency's decision who knows but he's going through full drills he looks healthy um so that kind of leads to the belief that maybe someone offered him a promise but this is a guy i like quite a bit i mean big guard super athletic kind of did it all for florida state um i mean i would be more than comfortable going with him somewhere outside of the you know early outside of the lottery yeah i feel like there are a decent amount of guys like him in this draft um that is true. I mean, if you're choosing between him, you know, Bembry and, you know, I don't know, even, you know, Tory and Prince, guys like that are all pretty equal to me as far as stock and upside. Yeah, it, it's there's a lot of the just those kind of shooting guard. A lot of Courtney forward. Lee's in this draft. Yeah, yeah exactly. Like uh, where you hope that they can guard all like all three of the backcourt positions, maybe and, and shoot shoot the three a little bit. Um, but I mean, they're all, you know, we're talking about them now cause this is their draft. This is when they're coming out. But I mean, re- realistically, they're all just going to be seventh or eighth men probably, uh, at the NBA level, which is fine. I mean, yeah. if, that, if that's what you're getting in the, in the low to mid twenties, I think you're fine with that. What do you think about, uh, him versus, uh, Malachi Richardson? <sighs> I, I like Malachi Richardson. I would go Malik Beasley based on what I've seen on tape. And I think I think Beasley's a little more NBA ready. I think he's a little more explosive. Richardson's got the the size. He's got some length. He's got uh, some good tattoos. Rich, Richardson's probably the one who more realistically can be the the 3 and D guy that guards that really does an excellent job of guarding um all wing players whereas I wonder if you want, you'd look at Malik Beasley as a guy that you're only really comfortable on ones and twos at yeah. the next level. Yeah, I think you know more so twos than anything. I mean, you know, certainly you can switch on to ones, but I don't know if you feel extremely comfortable throwing him out there against a lot of point guards in the league. Well, um, that's, yeah, I mean, but that's in order for him to be a guy that I'm really excited right. about, he would have to be able to kind of do that. Yeah, I, I don't, I don't know that he can do that. Uh, I don't know. I'll have to take a closer look at that. The Knicks do not have a pick, uh, but they are uh, apparently it's it's almost a done deal from what I've read that they're going to buy one or or somehow acquire one, whether that's in the late first or somewhere in the second round. But I read today that the Knicks have their eye on Yogi Ferrell. Yep, Yogi Ferrell. Where is he on your big board? Uh, well, 
Did not get the invite if, to the I combine. I don't know if it's that big. I don't know if my board's big enough for him to be on there. But. Continues to impress <laughs> in workouts, reports NewJersey.com. I mean, look, I think Yogi Ferrell and, like, Cat Barber and Kay Felder and Isaiah Whitehead, like, Karis LeVert, you know, throw all the like, Gary Payton. Like, to me, Take your pick. all those guys have just as good a chance to become something. I mean, they're probably all going to not be anything, but, like, if... If Yogi Ferrell was all of a sudden a guy that was on a, a decent team, like I, like as like an eighth man type of guy, I wouldn't wouldn't be like completely. Floored. No, I mean great college career. I think if he was three inches taller, he's probably right in the talk. Yeah. You know, what, he's basically Demetrius Jackson, but a little bit shorter. Yeah, I mean, some you know, every every year, a couple guys go in the second round that end up becoming something, and mm-hmm. people wonder how people missed on him. Could be him, but. You know, no, no real reason to to pay attention at this stage. In right. The, the well, it's it's one thing to take a guy like that in the second round. It's another thing to go out of your way to buy a pick to take Yogi Ferrell. Yeah. Um, but the Knicks need help at point guard. That is certainly true. And got to address maybe it Yogi the draft in which you have no <laughs> picks. That's why they brought Phil Jackson in to do things like this. Um, anything else you want to touch on? Um, no. I mean, what are you? Are you, how are you planning on watching the draft? Are you, you're going to, are you going to, you're going to be at the draft, right? So what are Correct. you, what are you um, kind of most excited to, to do when you're there? It's a good question. Or most excited to take in, uh, in the Big Apple. Um, I've never excited? been to New York. You're not going to have any like Knicks fans there booing whoever they pick. No, I know. And that, that's kind of, you know, growing up watching the draft, that just, Seems like some... I mean, sure, they'll be there. They'll find something to sure. boo, right? Sure. Knicks fans yeah. aren't just going to not go. Sure. Maybe that'll be me. I don't know. Um, but no, again, I've never been to New York, uh, so I'm really not sure what to expect. I've been doing a lot of Google Maps scoping. Uh, I'm staying in Brooklyn because... Nice. So the, the media day on Wednesday is at a hotel basically right off of Times Square. So I was like, oh, you know, maybe I'll just grab a hotel in that area. That'll be, you know, that'll be convenient. No, 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 no. Uh, we're looking at, you know, minimum of five, $600 a night. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, you know, the, the financial insiders at Rotowire uh, had kind of steered me more toward the Brooklyn neighborhood. But you looped somebody in and they... Yeah, I looped a lot right of people direct, in. Right direction. Right, looped a lot of people in, and I settled on a great Best Western. I'm not going to tell you guys which one, so I don't have people hounding me, yeah. you know, all weekend uh, at the draft. But, no, I'm going to go out there on Tuesday. I'm going to stay with a friend, kind of get acquainted with the city a little bit. Um, on Tuesday night and then, then on Wednesday, media availabilities during the day. That's only for an hour though. Media availability lasts one hour. So I'm not sure exactly what's, what's going to be going down there. Um, but you know, that'll give me plenty of time, I guess, to mentally prepare, uh, for the draft itself on Thursday. But I, I am, if I had to say most excited for one thing in New York, I really want to go to Coney Island and check out the the Lincoln High School where Stefan Marbury and, sure. and Lance Stevenson and, and the great Sebastian Telfair uh, all cut their teeth. So, you know, my parents are sending me and, and Rotowire's <laughs> Mike Doria bring, you're is... bring your kicks? Yeah, I might bring the kicks. Lace them up? Right. Well, you know, I mean, if I, if I happen <laughs> to be walking by Rucker Park and, you know, the guys... Spot, you know, scope me like is, is that the guy from Wednesday night rotowire hoops? You guys want to come in and run one? Like, yeah, maybe. Um, but no, I don't really want to see any. You know, the Statue of Liberty. Um, don't do that. Empire State Building. That doesn't. That doesn't really pique my interest much. Have you been to New York? Yeah, I've been there a couple times. I I haven't been able to go since I've been old enough to really 
kind of do the type of stuff I'd want to do this time. Like around. what? Like, I mean, like, I I went on, like, a couple... I went on a family vacation there when I was, like, 14 or something, and I went on, like, a class trip in high school when I was, like, 17. Nice. So, like, I wasn't going to, like, really nice restaurants right. or going to, like, cool bars or anything like that. It was just kind of... Very, very touristy. So mm-hmm. I, next time I go to New York, I'm going to do none of that. And I'm going to do <laughs> uh, the non-touristy stuff. So, um, yeah, I mean, it's uh, obviously you're not going to have enough time to mm-hmm. really get that much done at all. But, yeah, it should be should be fun. It, well, in your experience, your two trips there, is New York overrated, underrated, or properly rated? Uh, properly rated, I would say. Properly I, rated. I know that there are people that – I feel like I've been hearing more people – hate on new york city recently than than ever before i think a lot of that's just because of how expensive it is to live there but mm-hmm. um i mean if you're just gonna go i mean it's it's just as expensive to be there as a tourist as it is in like san francisco or something like that i mean it's it's a cool city i i've heard that brooklyn brooklyn's one of the places i'd want to go if i went back there so that's that's a not a bad place to to be staying um i think that's probably where the best food is at the mm-hmm. most affordable prices so that's that's a nice little perk yeah, I think the buy the I think the beers might be like single digits there in Brooklyn. I think in, in single Manhattan, digits. I think in Manhattan you're looking at ten, twelve bucks for uh, even a even a hams. I was gonna say <laughs> is I mean hams is, could maybe be a novelty beer in Brooklyn. Like I could see bars carrying yeah, it almost yeah, as a joke, yeah. right? But uh, yeah, and I think you could get it. You know, probably okay. six, seven bucks for a. I'll probably call ahead. Oh boy, and just <laughs> make sure I don't, I don't want to run into a situation where I'm where I'm out of my element and having to drink some sort of foreign beer. <laughs> Um, all right, that'll that'll do it for us. Before before we leave, uh, Cleveland loses by a lot, or Cleveland loses by a little on Thursday. Uh, Mind you, that the average margin of victory has been twenty point eight points so far in this finals. I will say that they lose by eight. I say they go down by seven. Ah, all right. Well, I hope it's. I mean, there have been. Despite that large margin of victory, there have been points in this series that there have been have. enjoyable to watch. So hopefully that few and far is. between, but they have, there have been points. <laughs> if you've watched the entire series, there have been moments where you've been intrigued by the <laughs> basketball that's going on.